For those that were here last Sunday, you'll remember that Tom uh, made a little bit of a pitch for joining in on our Bible study hour at uh, 9.30 where we've been working our way through the book of Psalms. And today what I'd like us to do is to turn our attention to one of the Psalms, Psalm 62, which by the way is uh, our memory verse that we've been looking at most recently in Psalm 62 verses 1 and 2. And hopefully you're beginning to become more familiar with it. And it's the recognition that my soul waits in silence for God only. Right? We think of the book of Psalms, how special they are to God's people. And the rest that are joining us in that morning worship hour can help me with this. And we know that the format that we have for our book of Psalms as we have in our English translation or in other translations, was put in this uh, pattern by whom? Ezra. And so a gifted leader in the nation of Israel, Ezra, who put the book of Psalms in this present format. We also know that he divided into five sections, or what's called the five books of the Psalms, because he used it in conjunction with what other portion of the Old Testament? the Pentateuch, the Torah. And so he lined it up with the books of Moses. And as we look at Psalm 62, this would have been utilized in expressions of worship by God's people. And why the Psalms are so beneficial for us is it's one of the wisdom books of the Bible to give us skill and understanding and knowledge for an aspect of life that is very important for any individual and especially for the people of God. And the book of Psalms as a book of wisdom deals with the most important relationship of all. And that is our relationship with the Lord himself and how we express that relationship. And when we look at the book of Psalms, we recognize that these Psalms fall into two main categories. They are either expressions of praise to God or petitions to God for his help. And as we look at the psalm before us, we find that this is a psalm, as it says, in the superscription of our Bibles, but in the Hebrew text, really, uh, verse 1, it is for the choir director. It was designed for public worship. It was designed for God's people to give expression to what would be true in their life, in their heart, and in their experience. That's why we love the book of Psalms. It reflects our inner self. It deals with the deep issues that we face in life and the appropriate way for us to respond to them. This psalm was designed to be used in public worship. It's for the choir director. It was according to Jethuthun, Jethuthun, And as such, it is a Hebrew word which comes from a more familiar one, Judah, and its basic meaning is praise. It is also a name of individuals who were part of the Levitical family in the time of David. And you can read about this individual in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, but it seems like this is a melody that had been put together to be used with this psalm. And we also know it was written by David. 
And as David wrote this psalm, we recognize that David was in a time of difficulty. And in the difficulty David found himself, he states in verse 3, How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. They have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. So we don't have an historical occasion given by David for when this psalm was written. But what seems to be the occasion very likely was the rebellion of his son Absalom. And the fact that individuals would give lip service to honoring David while they were plotting together for how they could bring him down from his high position, that is, as king over Israel. And they didn't just want to depose him, they wanted to get rid of him, to murder him. And his situation was such that they believed David was very vulnerable. David was susceptible. He was like a leaning wall or like a tottering fence. And so in this psalm, David is expressing confident trust where? My soul waits in silence for God only. I can't trust men. I can't depend upon my efforts, human ingenuity, or others around me to help me. From Him is my salvation. It is a recognition that God alone was the one who could help Him. Now before we look at other details in the psalm, I think we can recognize how we can identify with it. We may not be in a situation that is life-threatening like was true of David, or maybe there are times that we are. Where do we find the resource to help us during that time? It is only in the Lord. And so if we classify this psalm, we are really looking at one that while David is in a time of danger for his life, it would fall under the category of an expression of praise, but most importantly, one of his confident trust, dependence upon the Lord to provide him with help during his time of need. What does he say about the Lord? Well, not only is he David's salvation, he's David's rock, he's David's fortress, his stronghold, He's David's refuge in this time of need. David didn't write this psalm just in hypothetical circumstances reflecting upon the character of God. He wrote it in life experience. And here is where David learned the important lesson that there is a uniqueness to God as a refuge and stronghold, a place of uh, benefit for his people in any time of need. You and I go through deep circumstances in life where things look desperate. We have the occasion to pray for others in time of need. And what is it that God's doing in those times? Well, sometimes we have the evil one wanting to whisper in our ear and tell us, well, 
if you were living like you should, this wouldn't happen to you. But we have too many biblical examples to show us that there are circumstances that happen in the lives of God's people still under God's control that are difficult to bear and have nothing to do with the fact that they've done something wrong and that's why they've come. And in those circumstances, God's people in their experience learn things about God that they otherwise would not ever know. How is it that we can say God is my rock? God is my fortress or stronghold. God is my refuge. If everything's going well, we don't really see or perceive the need that we have of God. But when we're in those circumstances where we don't have the answers for ourselves, where human resources are inadequate, where we have nothing in the temporal that can take care of our need, then we learn that our God is our rock and our refuge, that ever-present help in a time of trouble. And that's why I felt this opening two verses was important for us to memorize. A recognition that as we go through life, God takes us through deep waters. God takes us through difficult circumstances. And what is it that we need to uh, bring to mind or recall to mind as we go through them? And that is that God is a unique refuge for all who take uh, or who trust in Him. It's a refrain that David brings out in this psalm. Notice if you look down in verse 5, what is it David says again? My soul wait in silence for God only, for he, uh, my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. You notice a little different uh, way in which David phrases it as he repeat, repeats that refrain. The word that is missing is the word greatly. And it's almost as if David, meditating upon God in this circumstance where in his occasion he is fleeing for his life, that initially he says, I shall not be greatly shaken. Now he says, I shall not be shaken. This idea of being shaken is the concept of having a vulnerability, of trembling, of having some fear. And God's people go through situations in life that can make them fearful. God's people go through things in life that causes them to get rattled. And yet as they reflect upon God and rest in Him, what is the reality? I will not be shaken. As one individual has stated, I may tremble upon the rock, but the rock never trembles under me. And as I go through life, I find out that God brings me into these places that seem to test me beyond that which I'm able. But the reality is, God is more than sufficient for His people. As we look at this psalm, it really falls into three main parts. It's broken by the little word Selah. You have four verses in each stanza. And with that, the Selah means a pause, a time just to maybe reflect, and a little bit of an interlude before the melody is picked up again. And in verses 1 through 4, David gives us an example of what it is to trust God in the difficulties of life.
And in verses 5 through 8, he provides an encouragement to others. What do you need to do? Not rely upon your own ingenuity, your own resources. Certainly don't try to gain things in this world uh, in ways that God says are not appropriate. But you need to trust in the Lord. You need to depend upon Him. And then in verses 9 through 12, it's his entreaty to trust in God. David begins by saying, my soul. And we know that the soul is an expression of your inner self, of your true self. We try to dissect it at times and say, well, it has to do with our lower nature. But the reality is, it's who you are. If you read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that the Lord formed man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed life into his nostrils and man became a living soul. It's the essence of who you are. And so David is saying, in myself, in my true being, my soul does what? It waits. It relies upon, it depends upon, it looks to God only. In fact, this Hebrew word only is found six times in this psalm by saying, this is the unique place in which I am placing my trust. The word silence is a word which really means unagitated without fear. I haven't lost my composure. I may be rattled a little bit, but I know where my help comes from. It comes from the Lord. It certainly means David wasn't murmuring. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't saying, why is this happening to me? He was waiting in silence, in composure before God. Because from Him is my salvation. My deliverance. God's the one that has obligated Himself to His people. And He will not fail us. He will not forsake us. From Him is our salvation. And we know that that ultimately has to do with our, <clears throat> excuse me, our eternal status before Him. Salvation is the fact that He delivers us from Satan and the power of sin and transfers uh, us into the kingdom of His Son. And in Him we have eternal life. But day in and day out, God is the one who is at work, accomplishing what is for the best interest of His people, working all things together for good. And He's the one that repeatedly brings deliverances to His people in their times of need, and very often in ways that we're not even aware of how He has intervened for our benefit. And so David would say of the Lord, He only... He has a unique spot. What is it? He only is my rock. That is, He's the strength, the foundation, the place of my well-being and safety. He's my salvation. He is the one who delivers me. He is deliverance itself. In Him, I have true liberty. He is my stronghold. That is my fortress, my sanctuary, where I can find 
peace in my inner self in the times of need. I shall not be greatly shaken. Notice when we go down to verse 5 as David expresses this encouragement to trust in the Lord. He says, My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. Now in our English language, the word hope means almost wishful thinking. But the Hebrew word hope means certain eager expectation. I have a confidence in the midst of desperate circumstances and problems that God will not fail me nor forsake me. God's obligated Himself to His people. He is the one that says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is the one who is always watching over His children. So Paul could say at the end of Romans 8 that what is it that will ever ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus the Lord? Shall tribulation, shall persecution, shall enemies that we face or death itself? He says, oh no, but in all of these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who has loved us. It is the recognition that we can have a certain expectation that God will work on our behalf to accomplish what is for our best good, ultimately even using death itself to what? Take us into His presence and to be with Him forevermore. So my hope, says David, is in the Lord only. He's my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my honor, my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. So from the example of David, what is he saying to us? Do you face any problem? Are you going through anything of difficulty? Then trust in the Lord, you His people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. We don't play at being a Christian. We don't have to um, try to find some way to hide what's going on inside of us in our times of need. The only person that gets fooled in all of that is you. God knows what's on your heart before you're even aware of it. Before there's ever a word Uh, on your tongue. God knows it all together. As the writer of Hebrews tells us in the New Testament, we are all laid open and bare before Him with whom we have to do. And so David says, when you are burdened, when you are wrestling with things, when you are afraid, when you are doubting, whatever it may be, pour out your heart to God. He is the only unique refuge for His people. You are one that thinks you find something other than the Lord to depend upon. David, based on that encouragement to trust Him, makes this entreaty. He says, men of low degree are only what? They're vanity. That is, they're the vapor. They're the uh, breath. There is no substance to them. They have a derived existence in their temporal they're passing quickly. How about men of high position? 
Men who have a place of power and control and authority. He says they're a lie. But what he is saying is, if you're thinking people in high places are what can help you out, that's a delusion. It isn't what men can do to help God's people in the time of need. The only hope that we have is found in the Lord Himself. So, trust in the Lord at all times and pour out your heart before Him. Don't, verse 10, trust in oppression. And that word translated oppression gives us the idea of don't be a bully as you deal with others, but it's really more of a monetary financial term where he is saying that what you need to do is be sure that you don't make use of inappropriate ways to gain resources by fraud, or um, extortion, etc. And in the same way, don't take from others what uh, doesn't rightfully belong to you. Don't trust vainly in hope and robbery. And if riches increase, don't think the almighty dollar is going to help you out. The only resource to take care of you and your need is the Lord alone. So he says in verses 11 and 12, Once God has spoken and twice I have heard this. It's almost a proverbial statement where David is saying, here's what I want you to understand. If you're in a time of need, you have problems that you face, this is what we need to remember. Power belongs to whom? To God. And what David said that I've learned is not only does power belong to God, but so does chesed, covenant faithfulness. What God has promised, God is always faithful to do. And as such, God is the one who recompenses a man according to his work. We can recognize that God has the true power, the absolute power, the one who can do something about our problem, and he will do so in keeping with what he has promised in his word. So what do we learn from this? Well, the first thing that we need to learn is there's a certainty about the fact God recompenses to every man according to his work. Now, you may say that sounds so contrary to the New Testament, does it? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. But what a man sows is what a man reaps. And if you're not familiar with that, I encourage you to go to Galatians chapter 6. And to explain it, Paul said to the Galatians, For the one who sows to the flesh shall reap corruption. But to the one who sows by the Spirit, he will reap eternal life. The point he is making is that what is manifested in your life, in the way you live and the things you do, is reflective of what you really trust. And if you are really trusting in the Lord and depending upon Him, you're living a way differently than those who don't. And God is the one who is faithful 
This has nothing to do with works. It's a recognition that because of grace, God's people live differently in this world than those that have never tasted of that grace. And God faithfully recompenses each man according to his works. In other words, one's lifestyle becomes reflective of what he really trusts or depends upon. And the second thing for us to learn from this is that God is really an adequate object for us to trust. My confident trust needs to be in the Lord. He is the only sufficient one that can take care of me in my time of need. There's the recognition of his chesed, his loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness. God is the one who consistently does just what he has promised. And the second is, you have a big problem? You seem overwhelmed with where you are? Then let me ask you, is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? So we see all the circumstances people face in life, and very often individuals are brought to the place where they recognize, I have no one to help me. I have no hope of getting out of this. And when we come to the end of our hoarded resources, that's when God's giving has only just begun. Power belongs to God. And no matter how big your problem may be, nothing is too hard for him. So how is it we should live our lives? My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. What a glorious truth we have in his word as a reminder that no matter what may lie in our path our God is there with us to uphold us to strengthen us to bring us into an ever deeper closer relationship with him as he uses us to bring glory to his great name let's pray